John, how can you always have the right TV for the right application without carrying hundreds of valves on your truck? You can carry the hundreds of valves on a trailer behind your truck. That's too funny. That would work, but how are you gonna do that? Maybe there's an easier way. You can use Sporland's interchangeable cartridge style Type Q and Type BQ uh, TEVs. Type Q is a conventional design and Type BQ is a balanced port TEV. Well, come on, I need easy. How easy is it? Uh, easy as one, two, three. And it serves thousands of unique applications. So what's the process? How do I put this together? First, you select the thermostatic element assembly. Then you select the body that you need. Then you select the right size cartridge for the application to get the proper capacity TEV for your application. And then I guess it should also be said you want to actually assemble those into a single valve. That'd probably be a good idea. These easy to select and assemble valves mean you're always carrying the right valve for the right job then. If folks want to learn more, what do they do? Uh, you can go to sporland.com and find more information on the Type Q and BQ thermostatic expansion valves. I guess that's Jim and John for Sporland signing off. We've all been there in the middle of a job, everything going smoothly until boom, you're missing a part. United Refrigeration is your one-stop shop for all your refrigeration needs. Use your computer or smartphone to go to www.uri.com at any time of day or night to check stock on your favorite brands, such as Copeland, Sporland, Carlisle Compressors, Danfoss, Emerson CPC Boards and Sensors, Corel, Hussman Parts, and Ketotherm. United Refrigeration Inc. is home to these brands and many more. Looking for information on refrigerant conversions or refrigerant banking? Quick access links on the homepage can get you to the information you need. All approved accounts are able to see live to the minute inventory and pricing. Product not in stock at your local branch? No problem. Use the nearby stock feature to find a local branch that does have what you need. Are you looking for a branch address, phone number, or after hours number? That's all available as well. Just click on the branch locator and search for your local branch. Have a model number and looking for a replacement part? www.uri.com forward slash ARP has a vast list of quick pick replacement parts. Just search for the model number of the equipment you're working on and click the replacement parts tab. If you don't have an account, click the register button and we'll have you online in no time. With more than 400 locations in North America, each United Refrigeration branch is fully stocked for immediate pickup. Our branch employees have in-depth technical knowledge so we can help you get what you need when you need it. Visit your local store or www.uri.com forward slash ARP today. United Refrigeration Inc. has all your solutions down cold. Yeah, I mean, that also won't help you in the windy cold conditions, at least uh, adiabatic is some buffer um, <laughs> to the wind. So an open coil is, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna pull the wind towards it. Um, so well, you wanna, what's that? Want to parlay into uh, high ambient strategies? Yeah, let's talk about high ambient strategies. I know a bunch of people have already talked about it, but I mean, I, I want Bob's perspective on that. <laughs> yeah. So I, no, cool. so, we, no, we sorry, sorry. We because we briefly talked about this, 
and I had asked you about some methods that are out there right now. And, and, you know, you have, we have parallel compression. We have that sky cool system. You have heat reclaim is acting as one of your high ambient strategies. Um, that big Dan Foss, uh, ejector type system, the regular, you know, old school ejector systems. I, I, I want to hear it all. I mean, you, you, you know, didn't you, you did, you did some white papers for, for, uh, for some consulting stuff where you basically ran the benefits of, of where, what system would be more beneficial where, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we did look at that, um, with, with Emerson and on typically like a high ambient strategy on, on what makes sense, especially in North America, because like you said, now you've got anything from Texas and Florida all the way up to, well, typically Alaska also worst case scenario. Um, so there is a big, big spread of, of multiple ambient conditions across, um, across North America. And, and the funny thing is if, if you ask anybody if they got a high ambient, I've never heard anybody not saying that they're not in a high ambient climate. Um, even if you ask someone in Chicago again, they will tell you like, yeah, man, last year, summer, like 105, you know, we were dying in the heat. Um, so everybody will tell you like they got, everybody claims they got a high ambient condition. So, so the firstly, the outlook or the point, my standpoint with high ambient strategies is like, I think they're all good. Um, and I mean, we can go into them now, but I think they need to be understood how they work, number one. And number two, you need to look at it on an annualized basis. Um, and again, it also comes on how you design it into the system. So so the main thing is to look at it on an annualized basis. Um, I mean, the the total, you, the refrigeration systems run 24 seven. It's it, it doesn't run just during the day or during the night or only in summer or only in winter. Um, obviously it runs harder in summer, it runs less in winter, but at the end of the day, it, it never shuts down. So you need to look at it for the 8,670 hours that it's operating. Um, and, and I mean, if you go and look at that, what average, how can I say it? If you go and look at most globally, you look at the average ambient conditions that there are, you actually would be amazed on what the annual average temperature is. It's way at the bottom of, of, of a, a subcritical operation. Um, I mean, it's, let me just open my, wait a minute. You just rattled off how many hours are in a year? Yeah, I think it's about 8,670 hours there about if I'm correct, I hope I didn't screw that up. <laughs> so that's fact checking right now. <laughs> cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my conversion out. I want to, I need to convert now Fahrenheit and, and Celsius. Otherwise Eight, I'm going to get <laughs> 8,760. And, and I know, I know, I know Wayne used a bar before. And if anyone do, it doesn't know that there's for every one bar, it's 14.5 PSI. So, it, yeah. you know, before he was talking about a half a bar. So just to make sure no one caught that, if you're going to ask me for the uh, Fahrenheit to Celsius conversion, <laughs> it's done on my phone. So I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm still getting used to that as well. So that's why I thought let me, because I mean, even, even if you take South Africa, take Johannesburg, um, I mean, Joburg is considered a high ambient condition. I mean, we, we, we don't go below freezing in, in the winter. It's nice and warm here always. Um, the average temperature, of Johannesburg is 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 60 Fahrenheit. Um, so that average? is that's the average annual temperature of of Johannesburg. Um, so that is 
lower for most of the especially in europe it's it's lower much lower than that um and then also in north america depending on where you are you've got um you've got that so i mean the reason why i'm saying that is if, if you need to look at the annualized side of like and, and when do you when do you really need this when do you need this and and what combination of them or which ones do you need if i can put it that way um because our outlook is and that that that's something we come i mean if you go and look at it, it's it's interesting i actually would like like to do that one day i'd like to go and take like a picture of from system one that we did system two three four like like kind of like a timeline thing so it's one thing that we did learn going on like when you started we threw everything at it we we had safeties and backups and 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 everything that you can have for for us on a co2 system and as you carried on you started realizing like geez man it, it, you know the, these backups just cause headaches and, and they're the ones that fail and and you start so we are quite big fans of simplicity um so at the end of the day we really look at if you don't need it don't have it um because if you have it and you don't need it, it's just going to come back and 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 mess up and and that's going to be the thing that fails mm -hmm. and also it's the, it's another thing i mean if you look at the massive task that everybody is taking on i mean you, you speak to some guys there's ridiculous goals like I'm, I'm all for it i love it um i mean it but everybody overnight in the last two years went from yeah we'll see where it goes and co2 we believe it is the way to go and we have our strategies now to do we've got 20 years and everything needs to be changed and there's like what 40 odd thousand retail stores in north america alone that everybody wants to change in the next 20 years i'm like how is that going to be like if so the only way that you can do that is if people need there needs to be people in the field that can do it and it needs to be able to be supported and that's why i believe in simplicity like if, if you have simple systems that firstly don't don't cost as much as they as they would with the other systems um but secondly they they're easier to understand they're easier to roll out they're they're easier to, to get techies to work on them um and they just just easier to understand overall so we are sorry for a long introduction like we really are or would love to take a simplicity outlook on it so so if you want to go then delve into high ambient strategies like i said basically all of them you can is based around mitigating the flash gas of a a system in when it is um how can i say it in in transcritical operation mode so again to to get away the 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 false or the facts that's out there saying that co2 can't operate at high ambient conditions it can the thing is just you do lose your efficiency but you can pull it back but it's nothing that says it's it can't operate when it gets that warm i've heard that a lot where people say like we need to have these systems and these high ambient strategies in place otherwise the system won't work when it when it gets to those temperatures it will you're just not going to have the most efficient system um so i mean number one if you look at what is the, the simplest the simplest high ambient strategy is adiabatic gas coolers um i mean when you look at it on the on the high side of life there's a there's a big reduction of it and there's a big reduction on 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 where you operate so what we've found and what we saw on, on on most of the studies and i mean this this includes 
Chicago, all your, your drier areas. So basically, the only place where an adiabatic system don't work as well as it should work is where you've got the humidity. Um, that's just because your wet bulb and dry bulb differential is not as big. So your, your adiabatic system don't do as much as it can. So that is your Florida areas, that's your, your Texas areas. Um, outside of that, you've got fairly dry ambient. Um, I mean, even California area side of life. So basically what, what we've seen and what you can look at if you go and look at his bin data is most of the, like 80% of, I would say in North America, you will operate less than 2% in a transcritical mode once you have adiabatic on um, once you do utilize water as um, adiabatic gas coolers. So for me, that is mitigating high ambient strategy. You, you're pulling yourself completely out of transcritical operation. Weren't you also t telling us about uh, some method where, where some, some manufacturer or some customer was utilizing, you know, for the, the adiabatic uh, cooling, they were actually utilizing some of the water they were getting out of the evaporators the drainage they were actually storing that storing that water instead so not only are you not wasting brand new city water but that water is going to be at a relatively cooler temperature anyway so you're getting a little yeah. bit more efficiency out of that is there a lot of people doing that doing that in europe or where, where have you seen that being utilized strangely enough it does not get done that much we do it a lot always recommend to do it um, because that is the big that is the big negative factor of an adiabatic gas cooler is water. it utilizes water um, so i mean water is is a part of your sustainability goals it's a commodity uh, i mean you can't waste water so the, yeah i mean it, it's 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 actually a, a group of walmart companies it's a com company called macro in south africa which we do a lot of work for um, so they stay um, they're a, a large wholesaler uh, with quite a significant freezer and and medium temperature food section so basically we we yeah what we do is we recapture the condensate that comes back out of the um off of the evaporators which is a lot um i mean you're constantly generating water um we take that water back simple filtration system we store it in large tanks and that and because with adiabatic you can control when you utilize the water um we bring we haven't had a case where we didn't bring enough water back to supply the the gas coolers throughout the year if you have a, a bit of storage around it obviously um so i mean in this in this case basically the store ends up utilizing no municipal water or no potable water that goes into the facility um, we actually utilize some of the excess water. They utilize it to irrigate the gardens and, and do some other things that they that they want to do with that water. So they actually water positive at the end of the day. Um, I mean, it's it, in South Africa we don't, but in the US I know you guys also have the whole sewage and, and stuff that comes into a, a operational cost factor. Um, so I mean, if you also can utilize the sewage system less. There is actually a cost saving to the client there um, as well, where you don't put all these water and stuff down the down the drain. You actually utilize it back in the facility, and you don't use potable water back into the facility. Um, I mean, that can be if you plan your facility correct. That can the additional water that you don't even use on your adiabatic gas cooler can go to to urinals or toilets and 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 stuff like that. So so. 
so yeah, I mean, that water is there. On top of it, if you still want to, you can also capture rainwater if you want to store that. Don't know, I've heard it somewhere illegal, but I don't know if it's still illegal everywhere. Um, but bringing back condensate water, definitely, we found 90% of the time, even in industrial applications, it serves more than what we require on the adiabatic gas coolers. Um, and we do not have to utilize potable water for, for that. Um, so yeah, that's that's one way to mitigate around using the water. Um, so that's that's a that's a nice side of it, um, because the adiabatic uses doesn't use a lot of water. Um, if you if you also if you control it properly, you don't need to use it all year round. You use it when you need it. Um, usually above yeah. what? So it's seventy four degrees is usually what the controllers say, right? Usually when they start bringing on the the actual water. Yeah. No lower than that, it's required. So only above that, that's, so I mean, again, on average, if you're gonna look at most of the places, like you're gonna what, run and utilize water 30, 40% of the year, not even that much. That's talking like your California areas and stuff like that, where water is a problem. You're looking at 30, 40% of the year only to utilize water. Um, so it's not a lot. If you keep on, if you, if you allow for enough storage um, and you allow for bringing that condensate back, then yeah, you got that water when you need it. Um, so you said about, you know, different areas require, you know, or work better with different types of high ambient strategies, right? So answer a question for me. Why why up in Canada do they have tons of ejector systems down here? And I think I've never seen one in, like, down in the States um, other than you know, the Danfoss trainer that they have. Why is you're talking that? High, you're talking high-pressure ejector or low-pressure ejector, like? high pressure it's be it would be, be it would be in between the uh the gas cooler and the hpv okay yeah so i mean you know honestly i don't understand i i would i, I wouldn't see a use for it in canada uh, <laughs> uh while your summers still can get high but but again i think a lot of it is 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 mitigation of and i think to kevin's point mentioned it it's a mitigation of the the water not wanting to use water um okay. which i understand but the thing for me is if you can bring that so because they literally will have that ejector in place for five percent of the year uh, it, it it will only work five percent of the year um because so, again like i said yeah go for it Kevin. do they actually get the benefits and the cost savings that they say they get out of running an, an ejector because i've heard it's 50 50 i've heard guys say that they don't get the benefit of running it, like they don't get it back, or it's just not as efficient as everybody says it is. It that again comes down to design. <laughs> you know, you also it comes down to how you design your system. Again, if you're going to design your system, like we said, at that upper level, you're taking away the working of your high ambient strategies. It's the same with parallel compression. I've seen a lot of systems that goes out of parallel compression. And if you go and look at the runtime on the on the controller, it's run five hours in its life. Maybe it was with conditioning. Damn. It's just been sized wrong. Um, it's 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 a cost mitigation. There's one large comp there's one compressor on the parallel side. What happens in a retail store? We design for you design for 100% capacity. Store ends up utilizing 50% of the requiring 50% of the capacity that it's designed for. Um, you know, you have one parallel compressor because you didn't want to 
make the system too costly or I don't know. Um, and now that compressor is just completely oversized and it will never run. The only time a parallel, because that's the thing, a parallel compressor will only run if if it's on a VFD and at the 30 hertz or the 30% of the capacity of the compressor matches the flash gas plus some plus buffer. Um, so you, that compressor won't come on if, if, if there's not enough flash gas. So like I say, I mean, if you have, and then I see, and then you have parallel compressor and it's added in a, in a, in a condition that's not that high. It's, it's added in a condition where it's quite dry and they've added adiabatic gas coolers onto the facility. So that parallel compressor is just a spare compressor in my mind. And then it's like most of those compressors just end up replacing a compressor on the medium team and never being replaced again on the parallel side of life. That I've seen a lot. Unfortunately, I've seen that a lot happen. Um, I've seen a lot of times where parallel compression runs beautifully and works really well. I mean, where it's it's been designed properly, the the application, the place, the 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 location, everything was just perfect for it. And then obviously you've got the strategy where you can put your HVAC on, onto that or you can put chilled water onto that. Um, then yeah, I've been seeing parallel compression work really well and, and take care of um, take care of that flash gas and additional cooling loads very well. Um, <clears throat> Then again, your ejector and your so, and then a ga adiabatic gas cooler works on reducing your your outlet your gas cooler outlet temperature. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then ejector works on having this high pressure differential. So ejector works optimally when you have a high gas cooler outlet temperature. <clears throat> a adiabatic gas cooler. And a parallel compressor system as well. Parallel works optimally when, when you're running at the high ambient condition. Mm -hmm. The more flash gas, the more it can take care of it, the more savings, the more percentage of savings there are. Um, so you basically, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you have adiabatic gas coolers and you make that work, you really need to, to think about if there is a, a need for any additional um, high ambient strategies. Um, one thing that that I think you see too little is everybody forget the 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 low side strategies. So that's why I asked you about the ejectors. Like ejectors work very well on 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 your superheat side of life on 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 creating a higher saturated suction temperature, um, and that's a 365 that's non-dependent on ambient conditions. So there's a lot of strategies that's on the lower side around the liquid side, the evaporator, the receiver, um, that in my mind, sometimes if you look at it, it's a 3%, 4% benefit compared to to the standard side of life. But annualized, it's it's a it's an all year round benefit. Um, I, I, I think technology shouldn't be sold for what they can do in an instant, instant manner. Um, they should be sold what they can what they can do for you on an annual basis so i mean even like like i said adiabatic gas coolers at the end of the day if you're going to look at it they can bring you a 20 percent energy saving if you go and look at at a, a really high transcritical operation you're going to go and say like okay cool we're sitting at the 86 plus ambient condition um we can get 20 percent energy saving stretch that out over a year maybe that technology brings you a two three percent saving um is that worthwhile is it may it doesn't make the system too complicated um 
so those are all the questions that you need to need to kind of answer um and, and and to throw all these technologies onto one system i think you're just complicating life um and i think you're just making it too hard for people to understand well i just i just want to bring this up for an example so in case anyone's like what the hell is a high pressure ejector system what the hell is a low pressure ejector system they can actually see it so um if you do go to youtube and, and see this video um, you will see an example. So here we have a high pressure ejector system that you were talking about. And then here is another example of now the low pressure ejector system. Today's episode is sponsored by the RefRush Shield RDP series differential pressure monitors from Westermeyer Industries, now available for transcritical CO2 systems in addition to other common pressures and refrigerants. When the filter element of your coalescing oil separator is contaminated, it can hurt your system's performance and efficiency. But how do you know when it's time to replace that filter? Wait too long to replace and you could end up with a nasty filter blowout. But replacing too often can be a waste of time and money. The answer is installing a differential pressure monitor. The RDP series differential pressure monitors, including the new transcritical CO2 model, are available now from Westermeyer Industries. To find out more information, email sales at westermeyerin.com. That's W-E-S-T-E-R-M-E-Y-E-R-I-N.com. Um, and, and I actually, I, I didn't understand how this worked until I actually had a talk with Ignacio from... Uh, from Kaiser, because this, I mean, this is basically similar to a, to a, almost like an FTE tank, right? I mean, this is same, it's the same principle, right? Um, yeah. Cause then they can raise, they can raise the pressure. I think they, on the low pressure systems, they also float the uh, flash, flash, ga- flash tank bypass. Oh, can't talk. Flash tank pressure. They float that up. Correct. When, when they're utilizing the low, the low ejector system. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You will match it in the lift that you can get. Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, I just wanted to show that for an example, you know, basically the difference where you can see they have this extra accumulator here um in the in the low uh the low uh low side ejector system versus the high pressure. That's all I wanted to show. Sorry. But it's no, 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 that's that's good to know, but again, like I need to say you need to it's it's all these technologies are interesting, but you need to try and understand how they work. Um <clears throat> in terms of like I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is like the simple, let's put it this way, the simplest system for CO2 that is available in the market is your standard TX transcritical booster system. Um, no parallel compression, no anything else, you know, some internal heat exchanges for subcooling like we discussed in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like that is your simple system. Everybody understands TX. So the only thing that you need to learn, Brett, you would know from like training and stuff like that, you need to let people then understand the difference on the high pressure valve and the flash gas valve and how you control that receiver. That's that's the only difference and, and transcritical operation, you know, you know, no pressure temperature correlation. Um, that's that's the teaching from HFC to CO2 and don't stress about the pressures. It's, it's, it's okay. Like once you pass that and you get your hands on, things go faster. Um, I mean, all these other technologies do, again, like I said, they bring a very, high level of complexity in, in, in some cases. Um, and you need to understand, like you said, like the FTE, the low the low superheat ejector systems, um, all of that, they work, but you need to understand where they work from and how can you design your system. Um, it's always an interesting f- factor. It's one thing, 
those type of technologies was introduced because Europe predominantly had their cabinet specified at a very low operating temperature. So if you had a DX system in Europe, they would specify that you need to run for, uh, sorry, I'm just making conversions here. So if you want a product temperature of, let's say about 34F, Mm-hmm. which is just about freezing your standard meat or veg and what a, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Their cabinets would specify that you run at minus eight, which is call it 18F. Okay. Which is bad. I mean, that's, that's shitty. That's very low saturated suction temperature for a, a fairly high product temperature. Cool. Um, but that's what the cabinet specified for a DX specified system. So once you can make a system semi-flooded, which is what the FTE and the and the low side ejector exactly. system do for yeah. you, you can increase your saturated suction temperature. The interesting thing about the US is you guys got very good evaporators and you've got very good cabinets and your specification is already for 25 for the same product temperature. So we we've had a problem with some of the uh, some of the manufacturers doing the engineering, and they'll engineer it. You know, they'll engineer one case that uh, that's designed to run at let's just say a twenty six degree Fahrenheit coil to get you know a thirty degree discharge air because it basically has only a four degree TD. But then you still have to operate at that plus sixteen or plus eighteen for your lowest your lowest SST case is just typically your meat holding box, right? You know, typically those are hanging evaporators. They have a 10 degree T D. So you have to maintain 18 to maintain 28, right? 28 degree box. I haven't seen very many um EPRs in in CO2. And and because of that, you know, basically they'll 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 size the the coils for it running the 26 degree saturated versus the 18 and then find out that the orifice is not the correct size. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, do you, in industrial and what you do um, on the regular, do you, do you use or spec any EPRs in there to, to, uh, you know, kind of mitigate some of that, some of that sizing issue? We optimize the evaporators. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Very good answer. laughs> So that we don't have to run at that shitty low saturated temperatures. Because that is a big saving. I mean, for every 1.8F lift in saturated suction temperature, you can have about a 3% energy saving annualized. Well, you lose you lose mass flow too, because if you're operating so low at a saturated suction, you know, the, the, the expansion valves in the that are being controlled by these case controllers, what do they do? They they mitigate superheat until they get down to their superheat. And then when the t- case temperature gets down too low, it shuts down to either a min percentage or absolutely freaking nothing. So it doesn't pull that case anywhere lower down in temperature. So, you know, you're basically going from you all your medium temp could be could be you could probably have maybe about five percent running out of your whole medium temp load. Because you're basically your lowest case load is the plus 18, and then you got all these other evaporators that are supposed to be running at a higher saturated suction, but in turn do not. So but, your answer is we don't design it shitty, we we optimize it. I mean that's my biggest complaint. Like with CO2 is the, the, with the case control side is is ends up controlling temperature with the metering device, and then it just the mass flow goes in the tank, and then the load goes in the tank. I mean. I would love to see some EPR, more EPRs, and we have a couple stores where we have them. They run amazing. 
Yeah. No, look, use them myself as well, and they do work, and it is something that needs to be implemented because the low side gets overlooked. I think there's, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like again, I'm not against any high ambient strategies. Uh, they work. We use them where it's needed, how it's needed, and when it's um, and if we need them. Um, I'm just trying to say, like, it's there's more to a system than than just the high ambient strategies, and everybody overlooks the low hanging fruit and the benefits that's right on the table. So, I mean, again, like, so our biggest the if we look at a standard retail store, we we our go-to is about 23F saturated suction temperature for the medium temp. Okay. Um, that's our design point, and we will float it up. So if we can get it better. Um, optimize it if load is better, all of that kind of stuff, and that's for almost all product that we see around the table. So we look at the evaporator to suit the product instead of the saturated suction temperature to suit an evaporator. Mm -hmm. The only place where we do not do that um, is where you have your is on your freezer side of life, where you maybe have your ice cream, something else that needs to run. It's usually I don't know ten. 10% of the store that needs to run at a lower set, and that, then we would look at a satellite compressor. Um, so we would look at a, incorporating a satellite compressor that can swing over or, or, or add on to the main system on the main LT system. Um, if that, let's say the compressor fails or whatever, it can, you, you have a swing or you have a backup or a solenoid, or whatever, it just marries the, the main LT suction um, and it can maintain its temperature until it's fixed. Um, but for, but because, I mean, we're, we're driving energy efficiency at the end of the day. So for 10% to run 6F lower, um, you know, that's that's massive energy loss, uh, if, if you really think of that, yeah. So I, I have two questions now. I'm sorry. Well, you, you keep, I keep thinking of more shit as you're talking. So one of the things is um, we were having a discussion on if you would have to put some sort of check valve in parallel with an EPR and electronic EPR. And I wouldn't think that you could, because if you did do that, if it would close down, if the suction pressure on the back end would get higher than, than what the saturated suction is at the rack. I mean, that's the whole purpose of it. It would start bypassing around the check valve. You need so to that, check the liquid. You're only checking the liquid. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is you said you optimize the evaporators. When you say that, I'm assuming that you're putting some sort of either mechanical or electronic EPR on there to maintain. Um, I, I haven't looked at the 5,000-page the Danfoss Industrial Guide in a very long time. Do they make, uh, you know, you know that, that setup where they have, the, it's basically a valve train where you, make, you put the different heads on it and make it do whatever you want. You can make it have a, be a hand expansion valve. You can have it do an EPR. You can do an inlet pressure regulator, outlet pressure regulator. You can make it do a whole bunch of fucking magic stuff, including like electronic shutdown. That being said, what are you using? In retail industrial oh, i want to know both so retail eevs straightforward um expansion drive keep it simple no so what we do when i when i no when i say we optimize um when i say we optimize the evaporator mm -hmm. i mean we optimize the design so we do that we basically design the evaporator we design the circuitry because you can design an evaporator to supply a certain relative humidity and a certain temperature required at the saturated suction temperature that you give it. Um, the, the, I think that 
and it's I don't I I don't it's not possible. I understand it's not possible. Over overall, we we were possible to do it. We when we started doing CO two in South Africa, there was nothing CO two related here. So everything we needed or wanted to, we had to to do it. Um, so we had to end up going to coil manufacturers, and we had to end up designing the evaporators for that. And we just said, like, that's a that's a saturated suction temperature. If we need a coil for for this cabinet or this cooler or this that, this is how we're going to design it to give us the temperature, the humidity, and everything that we require at the saturated suction temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I guess I'm putting a task out there to to the cabinet suppliers and and the evaporator suppliers to go and say like you can optimize your evaporators that you can run i don't know 90 percent of the store that's on medium temp and 90 percent of the store that's on lt at a set saturated suction temperature Um, so start start taking out start taking out fins so you let have less thermal connectivity co2 is uh, co2 is perfect like uh, i mean if you take the standard footprint that an HFC, so the difference is what you need to like an upright cabinet. Mm-hmm. Since what ten years ago, that was a HFC based cabinet. Mm-hmm. The footprint of the cabinet didn't change. The length of the cabinet didn't change. But now you're putting CO2 in there. CO2 needs half of the space than an HFC based coil. So there's plenty of space for you to optimize. Number you- one. Number two, they're putting doors on it. On, mm-hmm. on these systems now, the capacity is reduced. So there is so much more space and volume at the bottom to really optimize um, that coil. And that comes to diameter of your piping. Um, it comes to your circuitry, um, how you optimize your superheat. Um, you can run a DX system if you design a, if you design your rack accordingly and your evaporators accordingly, you can almost run a DX system like it is as if it's a super, uh, a flooded type system because you can really run what 3f superheat at the at the evaporator um, because you gain your superheat in, internally in your system you get benefits of of, of your liquid subcooling like we said earlier um, so you can it's it's as good as a as a flooded type system if that makes sense no 100 percent. so so you, when you say less space, are you talking less coil space or less cabinet space? Less coil space. Less coil space. Okay, so we can keep the cabinet the same size because it's still going to be the same amount of BT load. Just you know, make that coil less, less, less passes, maybe less, uh, less uh, fin yeah, spacing. I, so uh, uh, the CO two coil is half the size of a DX coil. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, you, you could essentially make that coil bigger if you wanted and make it more efficient. Well, I, what, what, I think a lot of things that make make those coils efficient is the more fins per inch, for the most part, like like giving you a lower TD, right? Because I mean, you have more if you have more more surface area, right? You're transferring more energy from the product, um, you know, out to the coil, which is then giving you the the lower TD. Would that would that be an apt apt description? Yeah, but if you make the coil bigger, the whole not saying less fins per inch, but a bigger coil. Okay, I get what you're saying. More rooms, you have more, you have more, more surface area, more. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said, like just the diameter of the pipe and the way you circuit it, um, because you, I mean, already you get a smaller diameter. There's already more surface area, 
So it's not actually, it's not just necessarily in bulk. We're not just talking make it bulk. It's literally just optimizing that surface area. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, there's no reason why for a certain type of produce, if you can operate at 23F saturated suction temperature um, to get yourself a, a 34F air or for product temperature, you can do that whether there's dairy, meat, fruit, um, anything, it doesn't matter what's what's in that cabinet or what type of cabinet that is, like you, it's possible to get that. Um, physics says you can get that, um, so you, it is possible to get it, it's just make sure that you get it uh, or to look into getting it, yeah. Um, I mean, we looked at EPR if you got like a, a complete shootout of a temperature, um, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, a high temperature requirement and we didn't put it on parallel compression because we don't have it, then, then, then we looked at EPR, but not these different levels of, you know, here's a row of cabinets that requires 2F lower or 2F higher or 4F lower or 4F higher. Because um, yeah, that's hard to, to mitigate that with a system. So I, I know you said you're optimizing the coils, but you did you did say that you do utilize EPRs. Now, where what what EPRs are you using? I, I, like I said, I know Danfoss makes some CO2 stuff, and I think Hansen started to, did they not? Yeah, we predominantly use the Danfoss stuff, to be honest, okay. um, especially in the industrial side of life. Um, there, we definitely utilize most of the Danfoss stuff. Uh, they got they got a good industrial range. And like you said, you can build it up. You can put it up, podcast, defrost, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can put through 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 Danfoss and and larger capacities. So, so yeah, we, we do utilize Danfoss most. Kevin, my brain hurts. You got anything else? Because I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I'm broken at this point. I haven't. I like these are one of those conversations where I feel stupid. I'm listening to what he's saying. I think I'm understanding what he's saying, but I I, I don't know if I totally get it. <laughs> Well, the, the the whole thing with like the the mitigating with the EPRs and stuff, like I see that is even like a high ambient strategy in itself that gets overlooked is like defrost tuning, like making sure like the defrost is you know optimized and like the actual load of the store. Like I see more racks have issues or more more units have issues when you know, the defrost schedule is all crazy. you got some, you know, bigger loads during the day or you're, you're using electric defrost, you know, on the frozen doors during the day or the hottest part of the day. I, I see that causing more high ambient issues than, you know, a lot of other things. I, I mean, that that I see is like one of the most overlooked by the customers in the U.S. is, is defrost scheduling and the rack saturation being set too low and you have cases just hunting all over the place. I mean, that that's my biggest struggle right now is, is trying to convince people to, you know, tune that part of the system before they, you know, they're throwing, you know, uh, gas coolers on with uh, adiabatic when we really don't need it that much. Or like they're trying other things when really it's a, you know, it's a load issue. Even even if you would put the EPRs on there, right, for the same situation that we're talking about where, you know, your lowest saturated suction and the coils aren't optimized as far as design, right? Because that's what he was talking about, basically design, you know, changing the design of that. So if you were to put EPRs on there, it would actually give you a more of a constant load, right? Because instead of your 
your electronic expansion valve being down to, you know, five or 10 or whatever small percent or even close because it's now maintained temperature. If you were to actually raise that, that saturated suction with via EPR, your electronic expansion valve would essentially load up more, giving you more mass flow, which means you've got happier compressors because they're running cooler longer, right? Does that theory make sense or well, I'm just talking to my ass at this point? Because it made sense to me. No, it makes sense. It's it's stability drives efficiency. Um, so so that is that's basically what you what you're saying is, is having a stable system at the end of the day is more valuable than than anything else. Um, a super but, super efficient system because if it's not optimized, then it's going to still run like shit, and then you're going to lose that efficiency in the long right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Control and stability, it's it's all comes down to that. And that, again, comes down to the more simple the system is, the better you can control it. Um, I mean, you've seen, I've seen systems hunt like no tomorrow, like crazy, um, just because of a simple set point of bringing adiabatic in. Like, let's, again, on the high ambient strategies, just bringing adiabatic gas coolers in, that, that set point was just too high um, and they measured or they, they didn't run it off of an ambient and a constant condition. They ran it off of the gas cooler outlet. Uh, what happened every time you bring water on that the gas cooler outlet drops below the set point, they switch water off. It goes, like that system, the whole day is just up and down all over the show. And the CO2 system does not like to be screwed around um, it, when it when it runs. And that's why you say you always can love like... Uh, I always say like you never see a CO2 system run more stable than it does when it's running flat out balls to the wall transcritical mode. Um, <laughs> you know, then then it's it's the most happy that it is. Like it's stable as, as it's very very stable. I mean, it's it's funny we had a we had one project and I had the guy I actually will see. I will look for that. I still have the video on my phone somewhere, and you know we. He, he phoned me up. He's like, you, you need to see this. He got the call. It was the service manager. He's like, he got the call out um, saying that I think one of the cabinets like gave a bit of a alarm. It gave a high temperature alarm. Mm -hmm. So he went out, CO2 system, transcritical, parallel compression. Um, and he looked at it and he was like, something doesn't make sense. And he looked at the grass and he's like, it's fairly warm outside, but it's not crazy warm. And, you know, but the system is running absolutely flat out. Like it's running super hard, it's running super flat. So you went check outside, so the, the, the end user or the, 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 the um, store owner <laughs> thought it would look pretty to put a, 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 a roof over the gas cooler. So he basically, <laughs> <laughs> so basically thought it would look very pretty if you put a, a roof over the gas cooler. And you know that you obviously understand what happened there, but I mean, it, it took a video of the the gauge on the discharge line for me. It was sitting on a hundred eight thousand eight hundred pounds, but constant, but constant, but like I mean, beautiful. Like that system was running like a dream, and I mean that's why I'm saying like that system was running smooth. Everything was like the no valve hunted. No flash gas valve, no bypass valve, and that needle was just sitting on. It was like vibrating like its ass off, but on 1,800 psi, the whole, just sitting there. It's just controlling on its upper limit where it can run. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was very funny, but I mean, it was inter very interesting to see. Like it ran 
How far was the roof off the top, man? Like no, not very far. <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty. Yeah, you couldn't see the gas cooler. But <laughs> you don't like the way it looks. All that metally stuff. We're gonna put some shingles on it. Look, look at chicken coop. I'm sure the fan motors love that. They were probably just you know screaming. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was actually I must look for it. I, I think I have that video somewhere on my phone still. I was sending it to you. You can see it's it's in bar, but you can convert it. Eighteen hundred pounds. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it was just sitting right there, but didn't move. Didn't move. Well, this is a a great podcast. Waylon, I want to do another one with you sometime and go over oil issues and, you know, dealing with oil during transcritical and subcritical because we see a lot of issues running transcritical with oil. So um, a lot more oil movement, but that's a whole nother, you know, diatribe to go down. I think if we get him talking too long, he's going to totally lose his voice. I can hear it. I can hear it start dwindling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry man <laughs> no no i just I, I i feel bad that we have you it's been an hour and a half now and i feel bad i'm like oh shit i'm sorry like but i i have no, no issue i know and i'm more than happy to come back again yeah i mean anything like doesn't doesn't matter yeah, let me know we'll, i'll pop back on awesome kev you got any, anything else no that's it all right, Wayne. Uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. Just stay, stay on the line. And uh, guys, we'll talk to you later. See you next time. Cheers, everyone.